<sighs> Hello there, beautiful, benevolent beings of light. Welcome back. This is the Ebb and Flow Radio. My name is Stephen Jaggers, and I am your host. Today, we dropped in with Joseph Kaufman. Um, he is a beautiful brother, philosopher, breath coach. He co-runs um, Conscious Collective on Instagram, so you can check him out there. They got a ton of awesome content. Um, he's chock full of wisdom, especially when it comes to breath philosophy. He has integrated so many different spiritual philosophies that uh, I always love hearing all that he has to say because he's got a a great integrated approach. Um, We delve into so much on here. Um, Yeah, so check it out. Let me know what you think and I'll put all of uh, Joseph's contact links in the show notes. Give him a holler and uh, as always, be beautiful. Stay in your heart. Much love. Peace. Let's drop in here with my brother Joseph Kaufman, who's been spending a little bit of time in Sedona. Just got done doing a little bit of some solo journeying. Yes, I did. Nice. How was that? Really powerful and transformative. Um, Yeah, I mean, I can go into it. Let's hear about it. So, yeah, I was feeling the call. It was actually during that global meditation. I don't know if you participated in that. I totally did. Yeah. I went live and everything. I was like, let's go fully into it. Yeah, so like I was sitting in that meditation and I had this um, download. And so like occasionally it's like really rare for me to get this, but there have been a few times where I get like contacted by these beings and pretty much just got like a a transmission from them. Um, It's happened like three or four times in my life where they'll show up as like three, these three beings and they're just pure white light. And I only see like the upper half of their body and only like the shape, kind of like a human form shape. And they just have, they're just pure white light, like no features that I can distinguish from them. And they just sort of show up in like these really specific moments and tell me some message, but it comes through really like, um, like telepathically. It's kind of just like a knowing is transmitted to me. And then I get like a download and I'm like, Oh, okay. Like now I I understand like what they're saying. It's like the first time I, I got contacted by, by them, it was like, I had this, it was the first time I realized that breath has a connection with our energy and our mind state and that um, the way that I breathe affects the space that I'm in and that everyone's Mm -hmm. breath and their energy is affecting the space and I was like really feeling into that and then these beings showed up in that way and they basically just told me like what you realized here you can't really communicate to anyone not because it's like secret but because people won't understand this until they've realized it themselves mm, and that was like experiential yeah so it was like a transmission of that and anyway this they showed up again this time which i hadn't had an experience with them for like years um and like communicating with beings like isn't really like my form of like spirituality really but it's yeah, just it's like, not your everyday thing yeah, yeah. it just happened <laughs> it just happened so like um they showed up and they were just like basically gave me this download they're like you need to go uh sit with you need to go sit and meditate in the 
the canyon somewhere, like somewhere mm. in the wilderness and like sit with some medicine. And it's basically like, I need some solo time to myself. And I think with everything going on, like the coronavirus and all the stuff in the media and like me not also having a lot of like personal space recently, even though I've been out here, um, I haven't had a lot of solo time. So I was just like time for me to check in with myself. So I went to um, a cave in Boynton Canyon and like set up my tent and quarantine, quarantine, quarantine myself <laughs> in a cave. And I sat like, um, I wasn't sure if I was going to sit with medicine at all, but I had it with me and like medicine is medicine with being mushrooms, cubensis. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I, I went there mostly for meditation. Like I brought this book with me that I was practicing and it's the Ganges Mahamudra. Um, it's a text by Talopa. He was like the founder of the Kagyu lineage and it's like mm. a form of Tibetan Buddhism. And that teaching is like, it's like four or five pages long, but it's like really, I love the teaching. It's really gentle and direct, but it's like all about basically being like vast open space, like being open awareness. Like he has this quote that I like it says, have a mind that is open to everything yet attached to nothing. And so this Mahamudra practice that he's teaching in that text is basically you are, it's not like the typical meditation where you have like an object that you're focusing on. It's just resting as your own being and allowing everything to be as it is. And basically through like complete and total rest, um, or like, as he says, like awareness, when awareness looks into awareness, then you can come to like the deepest awakening. It's like one of his quotes. And so basically the practice is like sitting and just really intently like observing into awareness itself and allowing everything to be as it is. So I brought that text with me and I was just like all day sitting and I would sit for like an hour and then I'd get up and stretch and like do some movement or something or like eat. I brought some fruit with me um, and then I would sit again or like get up, hike to a different like area nearby and then sit. And I was just kind of alternating and like sitting for like an hour at a time. Um, and I did that all day. And then when it came time, it was like the sun was setting. I was like, okay, I think I want to sit with some medicine and just got like a small handful. And, um, yeah, I, I ate the handful and I had this fear that I was kind of working through and it was, it was interesting how it arose. It kind of carried through from the morning because I knew I wasn't supposed to be camping there because I don't think it's a place that you're like allowed. Yeah, to. you're definitely not allowed to camp there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it's all. I mean, it's all good. I'm not recommending it. But if you're, if you know, if you're backpacking in there mm -hmm. and you're not like having a fire and all that whole thing. Yeah, like I was, and I was super respectful of the space because like that space that I went to specifically. To me, I've had some experiences there and I've been there a few times and mm. it feels like a really sacred space. So like, so you've been there before. Yeah. So That's I'm, a space that you've... Okay. Yeah. So you got confirmation in meditation from beings to go back there, quarantine yourself, basically spend some time with yourself and, and receive the land or the download or, or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like just be out there and... and I mean, you, you know, Boynton Canyon is like mm. so magical. It's, it's, as Andrew says, like where the codes are at, it's like, I always get downloads when I'm out there Dude, that whole area. It's interesting because I was just, there's, there's multiple canyons back there. You know, there's Fay Canyon, Boynton Canyon, Long Canyon, and there's, um, there's more, but that area is where there are more ruins 
in Sedona than anywhere else that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. And I find it really interesting because there's not really a water source there, um, which tells me that I feel like there probably was a water source there at one point. Um, I was talking with a good friend that uh, knows this area really, really well. And I was like, do you ever see any ruins like by Oak Creek or like down by the creek or anywhere up the canyon, the creek, like Oak Creek Canyon? And he's like, no, you know, that's a good question. But this, this area, Boyden Canyon is like absolutely one of the most, I don't know, sacred places, but also has the most dwellings. Mm -hmm. And at the same time that you were out there, I was at another place and I was sitting in these ruins and just really delving into what life was like at that point, you know, living in this this area and, and this whole coronavirus thing just, it's really showing us, I feel like what's important mm -hmm. and like coming back into our center and like really having a lot of time with ourself. It's, it's such a trip. It's such a trip, dude. Yeah. That was the call for me and kind of why I went there. I was like, I was getting, I was just tired of hearing everything about mm -hmm. what's going on and, um, wanted to sort of take a break from the world news and just be with myself and really check in with myself. Cause I haven't been, I haven't like deeply, deeply checked in about like how I feel around the whole situation. Cause it's like, you know, it's like a place that I don't necessarily want to go to. Yeah. Um, but I do want to go to, you know, I don't want to like be resistant or avoid it, but it's like, to let's really sit with, let's break that down. A little let's bit. do it. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> so, cause I feel the same. Like I haven't really wanted to take a stance. Is mm -hmm. that what you're saying? You know, like take, sort, take a sort like, of, and also like, I, I don't feel like I know what's going on. And so it's hard to take, mm. like, I don't really want to take a stance necessarily yeah. and like have a position. Um, Is and even what? if I had a position, like, I don't know what information's correct. Like I feel like what's being portrayed in the media is incomplete or, you know, deceptive course, in some it ways. it always is, yeah. Yeah, and you so... Can't, you can't take it. And then you hear all these things about 5G being involved yeah. or, like, forced man, uh, vaccinations. Vaccinations, which... Or, like, Bill Gates having all this involvement for some reason. Like, what's his role in it? And, when the hell did he... Did, <laughs> yeah. Is he able to say what... I know. What we have to do. He's just the guy with all the money. He's probably calling all the shots, you know? Well, and it's weird because he did some stuff where it was, like... I mean, he's been involved in vaccines. He's like funded vaccine companies. Yeah. He did this thing called, was it, I forget the exact name of the exercise. I think it was like, oh, I wish I could remember. It was like Pandemic 201 or something. Oh, like yeah. Event, I... event 201 or 203 or something. And it was like a staged like scenario of like preparedness for a pandemic that happened yeah. just in like October. Oh, I was... read about that. So like yeah, everyone that stuff, knows that know? he's trying to like, get, you know, get rid of some humans. Like he's, he's <laughs> Bill Gates is population control. He's trying to do it. Like it's just, it's well known, you know, we could delve down the, the whole conspiracy theory thing. And obviously the virus is real and people are sick and you know, that whole issue is going on. Mm -hmm. But same with me. I've like really tried to tune in about how I feel about the whole situation. And I kind of feel like, I feel excited. <laughs> like I'm like, am I sick? What's going on? You know, like, yeah. I'm like, I'm kind of like, well, there's, it's just an upheaval of all systems. Like everyone is affected and mm -hmm. everything. And I think the, the reason why I am excited is because 
the way in which we were expanding previous to this whole coronavirus thing was not sustainable in itself. Totally. And we needed something to get us to like stop and realize and just sit and take a break and like figure out how we should be like moving in the world. Yeah. And like so many people that just are constantly hustle, hustle, grind, grind, grind. And like everyone's just like, nope. We got to, we got to sit. Yeah. Well, I'm thankful for like that aspect of it, of what's, well, thankful that it, that's giving me more time to sit with myself, mm. but also like it's giving the earth some time to breathe because there's not quite as much traffic and, and people moving around and as much yeah. industry going on. So there's like the earth is getting a breath too. And like that I'm thankful for, like it needs that for sure. Absolutely. I mean, even in Sedona, it's crazy because it's what it's, it's April. This is the busiest month of the year yeah, and there's no empty. one out there <laughs> and I'm just like walking down the trails. I'm like, Oh my God, this is, this yeah. is, this is nice. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> like, cause usually this place is just a zoo, uh, especially for this month, which, you know, there is the give and take as far as like, I'm not really receiving any income because I, I do work with tourism and yeah. people coming here to receive sessions. But it is, man, what an interesting time to be alive. You know, yeah. something that occurred to me <laughs> the um, like a week ago, maybe, was it was the first time that I actually allowed myself to feel compassion for what was happening in the world right now. Mm. And like I've, you know had like an intellectual form of compassion or like understanding where it's yeah. like, yeah, that's, you yeah. know, some people are suffering. I should but like, be compassionate about this. Yeah. But I actually <laughs> thought about it, which occurred to me. I was like, I was like, there's actually like, not just people that may have gotten the virus or like sick or dying from that. Like, of course that's, you know, tragic in itself, but just collectively how many people are living in fear right now around this mm. whole, whole situation how many people are like at the store wearing masks and like really afraid to stand near anyone and just seeing the fear like when i go out to like whole foods right there or something yeah. and i'm walking in and i can just feel the fear on people and like it. that is everywhere right now it's so everywhere. many people are afraid so many people don't know what's going on or what they're going to do yeah. and so like yeah like a week ago i really sat with that and felt felt into the suffering of the world mm-hmm. right now and and felt for or for for that on that level like just the suffering that people are experiencing from the yeah. uncertainty and the fear around the whole situation it's very real mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean yesterday i was in the grocery store and i was the only one without a mask on i mean you want to talk about breath like uh you know, controlling our consciousness. It's like everyone's just walking around holding their breath, yeah. whether they're afraid to breathe because this, this virus is, um, you know, aerosol based. So we can breathe, basically breathe it in. But it's also like when you're in that state of contraction that, you know, that fight or flight, that sympathetic nervous system, it's like, you are not breathing. You're contracted. You're mm-hmm. not like, I've noticed myself that I've been just holding on to my breath. Mm-hmm. Is there any like specific, because I know you're a breathwork practitioner and have a, a lot of skill around that modality. Is there any sort of practice that you would, you know, want to tell people to do right now? Yeah. Oh, and I like to keep it really simple. Simple um, is best. Yeah. Sure. I always think <laughs> simple is best. And I think like one of the most important things is to just realize the connection that our mind and our breath has. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't have an awareness of their breath 
in the first place. And so like they're going around with that contracted breath and breathing shallowly into their chest. Mm. And so for me, I, I, to this day, think like one of the most healing forms of breath is just intentionally taking a deep breath, just being aware of it, being aware of your breath and just taking intentional deep breaths so that you, you can calm your mind. You know, like if you're in an, you're breathing anxiously, then your mind is anxious or vice versa. If you've got an anxious state of mind, you're likely breathing in that shallow way. Well, if you choose to breathe in a really calm and relaxed way, then you can produce a really calm and relaxed state of mind. So like you can just sit and sort of withdraw from the world, withdraw from your concerns and just focus on your breath and just really intentionally breathe really calm, deep, long breaths and just sit and do that for a few minutes. It can produce such a peaceful state. So just so crazy how yeah. that it's like so simple, but people just the mindset around that. It, it always tripped me out that breath is the only body rhythm that we can do both consciously and unconsciously. Totally. It's like this, we can be aware of it or we can just like go about our day and not think yeah, about it. It's like an involuntary thing that can become voluntary. And in that way, it's like a bridge between the conscious and the unconscious. And so like, that's what I like about it too, is like you can really work with, um, explore different aspects of your being. Like from, from my practice, my understanding is like, it really does change our state of mind, the pattern of breath that we have. And that's what I find so powerful about like, um, some of the forms of breath work facilitation that I'll share is like just by breathing in a certain pattern for an extended period of time, people can get into really altered states and have like deep realizations about themselves and their body. They can access like their body's innate intelligence and allow that, that to take over. But something about that deep breath too, like, um, or like in pranayama, they call it the yogic breath. Is like one that I love to do all the right, mm. right now or all the time. Is you just f- intentionally fill your full lung capacity. So like your lower belly and abdomen, your torso, ribs, up to your chest. Just and if you hold it, just for three seconds minimum, or you can hold it longer, and then release, and the breaths exhale slightly longer too than the inhalation that little process right there is stimulating uh the vagus nerve which is Mm. like associated with the parasympathetic nervous system totally yeah and so you you're working with your nerves too so you're you're stimulating that nerve and and it's that parasympathetic nervous system they've like coined it as the rest and digest as opposed to like the fight or flight Mm -hmm. so it's when your body's regenerating or restoring itself and so you can get your body into that state like let your body know it's okay it's safe it's relaxed and then it can start to heal and start to feel okay instead of being in this like really tensed anxious reactive state yeah absolutely it is crazy that like from what i've heard and read and studied that if you make the exhale longer than the inhale, it's going to activate the parasympathetic. If you Mm -hmm. make the exhale shorter than the inhale, it's going to activate the sympathetic, Mm -hmm. which is just like, it's just like crazy. Like if you think about what your nervous system is, your nervous system is your electrical system of your body. It's your energy system. You know, your nerves, you have nerve plexus or nerve ganglia at every one of those seven centers, you know, your chakra system Mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it. So it literally is like you are affecting your electrical bubble that's around you. That's affecting everyone that's in your bubble as well too, just by your breath. Mm -hmm. Like, and the biggest thing for me is that when I do that parasympathetic um, breathing is like, 
I'm repairing my cells. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm digesting my food. I'm doing all like I'm repairing, you know, I'm a very physical person. So I like to do a lot of physical activity. Like if you don't spend time in that parasympathetic state, First of all, your mindset will go to shit because you're, you're, you know, you're, you're in that fight or flight mode, but you're literally not digesting your food. You're walking around with like food in your <laughs> yeah. gut that's like not digested, mm-hmm. which I don't know. That always tripped me out. Yeah. That's a whole nother Thinking thing about like yeah, the <laughs> average person having like 15 pounds of undigested food in their colon. Like that's, oh what, that's a statistic. Like that's crazy. Right. It makes me just want to cleanse like <laughs> All the time. Yeah. But um, a thing about like it being the electrical system, right? So there's, it's like energy has like a, a positive or negative polarity mm-hmm. to it. And similarly, we have like the inhalation and the exhalation, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. And ultimately, like the goal is always balance between yeah. rest and or like doing and being. Um, yeah. Yeah. And sort of losing my train of thought, but working with, um, yeah, I guess I'm losing it where I was thinking of something with those polarities of breath. Um, well, like you always want to be in balance yeah. and I think that most of us spend our time, it just as a culture, we are probably swung the pendulum too far to the sympathetic side all the time. You know, we are, most of us are living in that state of fight or flight fear. So I think a lot of breath work is tailored towards getting us to the other side, the parasympathetic side. Mm-hmm. But really what one of my mentors said is that you want to be able to like health is the ability to choose. Mm-hmm. It's the ability to say, Hey, I'm going to like be in this sympathetic nervous system. I'm going to like go run up a mountain. I'm going to go like lift weights or I'm going to go do this super active thing and I'm going to have the energy to do it. And then when I'm done doing it, I can shift my state into that rest and digest or into that meditation, that relaxation. Mm -hmm. And I think that obviously the body is always striving for homeostasis or balance in any sort of way. It's like if we can choose to like say, Hey, I'm going to relax. Okay. Hey, I'm going to like be in this sympathetic state. And like, if we can move through that, but a lot of us, I think we get stuck. Yeah. We get stuck in one or we get stuck in the other. And so like the breath is an amazing tool to be able to figure out, okay, maybe I'm on this side, you know, and then I can take myself to the other side. Mm -hmm. Or like, I know like some of the Wim Hof breathing, that's like super sympathetic. Yeah. It's like trying to activate the fuck out of you. (laughs) And you're like, you're like, that could be great for someone who like is low energy or, you know, Mm -hmm. needs some fire. Yeah. That's why I like the, um, like the pranayama system, um, or that tradition, like the yogic tradition. There's like all of these teachings of pranayama and they're like really ancient and have been practiced for a really long time. And there's many different uses for them. It's not like you're just activating or you're just resting. It's like, there's a breath for everything really. And it's cool to look at some of the modern science and like the stuff we're talking about, like the sympathetic, parasympathetic, mm. and to compare that with the yogic philosophy, because they have like one of the core teachings in pranayamic um, like lore is yeah. there is these, well, they say there's 72,000 nadis or like channels of energy in the body, but there's three that are primary and they're Ida, Pingala, and Shashumna. Yeah. And Shashumna being like the spinal central column and this like balance point. And then Pingala being this masculine active doing force and Ida being this like receptive, mm-hmm. uh, passive feminine force. 
and it's so yeah and it's like you you know if you I, I think there's some distinction between them but you could correlate that too um, Ida being the parasympathetic and Pingala being the sympathetic and Shashumna being like the balance between both of them and so it's it's cool to see that they've had like this ancient mm-hmm. understanding of a lot of these teachings or a lot of these like the way that our nervous system works or how our breath works um, and so they they it kind of instruct you to like look into your state and see if you're more in like a Pingala dominant state or if you're more in a Ida uh, dominant state and to like bring it back to balance because like the goal is to be in in Shashumna or like another sort of teaching they have is they call the three gunas you may have heard um, yeah Rajas Thomas Sattvas exactly yeah Yeah. and so the similar thing Rajas being like the active doing Mm -hmm. force Thomas Thomas being the like you know receptive or like very dull slow force and then sattva being the balance Mm -hmm. and so in that philosophy it's like all about coming to balance to sattva shashumna or or however you want to call it um and i like that application of it is like you can see like what state am i in and one way Mm -hmm. they assess it too is like they they tell you to check in with your nostrils like right now like what air or what passage is most dominant in your nostril Mm. For me, they're actually both pretty balanced right now. So my left is a little bit more active. Yeah, so, and then it's like, if it's your left nostril, it'd be your right brain is what's more dominant, according to that philosophy. Mm. And so the right brain is the creative brain, and that's the yeah. e- Ida, um, it's mm. like domain, basically. Yeah. So that'd be like the left side of your yeah, brain. Yeah, and it's cool. They have like remedies of breath. So it's like, okay, if you're like more dominant in, in that way, you know, if you want to come back to balance, like here you can do this breath for that purpose. And so like I love that application That's of it. Great. It's like a breath for everything. I think that that just mindset can be applicable to almost everything. Mm-hmm. And I've talked <clears throat> with a couple other people that I've had on the podcast about it. And the process of having these self-inquiry practices that are like, okay, where is my state actually at? Mm -hmm. Because we are always striving for balance. And usually the answer to whatever issue we're facing is that we're out of balance in some direction. But to first figure that out, we have to have awareness, just like we have to become aware of our breath. So we have to figure out where we're at and then we can sort of prescribe the necessary practice to help us like balance it out. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's like, I mean, I feel like that happens with like my physical movement practice. Like if I'm been doing too much like strength based training, um, I start to lose like flexibility. Uh, it's like, I need to go back into like more mobility practices and, and, Um, or if I've been doing like too much like physical work, then maybe I need to do like more spiritual work or just kind of understanding where I'm, you know, where I'm at. And I think that the same thing goes with like the chakras. And I see with people that I, uh, that I do like chakra balancing work is like, we usually spend, people are usually dominant in the lower chakras or the upper chakras. Mm -hmm. They usually spend a ton of time like up in the head, up in the ethers, you know, like super spacey. Um, And then, or like some people spend a lot of time like down in the lower chakras, like in their body and their pleasure centers and their, you know, physicality and all of that. And there's kind of like this pendulum effect that 
swings you, like you spend too much time in the head, you're probably going to get thrown back into the body. Yeah. You spend too much time in the body, you're probably going to get thrown back into your head. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you can keep your energy in the center, which is like the heart, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you can move up into the head if you want to, or you can move down into the body. I guess what I'm saying is like, just always like setting up a self inquiry practice and then figuring out where you're at. And then you can like use that to figure out how to maintain balance in your life. Totally. Well, and that's like, (laughs) especially in, in like practical application of like daily life, like balance is, is the goal and balance is like a dynamic thing. You know, you're not just like I'm balanced and you stay balanced. Like you're constantly readjusting and and finding that balance all the time. Because um, it's a movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be riding the pendulum in one direction at some point, and then having the tools to be able to get yourself back and not getting stuck mm-hmm. in one direction is like that's the key. Because, like you said, life is life is movement, and you're gonna be moving through all of the full spectrum with that striving towards balance Mm -hmm. there's a an interesting it's like an ayurvedic philosophy um about balance they say all long-term systems main because everything's like dynamic and moving all Mm -hmm. the time right and so like all long-term systems that are able to maintain health for like a long time like the solar system or the seasons or any of these things they all have cycles and they all have um, patterns that they follow that allow them to like maintain like a a balance even during the dynamic um, movements of life and so like the way they apply that in Ayurveda hello you get a package or something probably a package (laughs) Um, the way they apply that in Ayurveda is like basically looking at the patterns in your of like your daily life like they're big on having like a daily schedule and Mm. I don't like to be like too rigid you know but they it makes sense in some way say they say like for your body to have optimal health then give it like some set of like rhythms or like security for it to know like when can it expect the meal like they say yeah. noon is the time for you to eat like because of the sun's the highest in the meal. sky it's like, like the that, most pitta yeah pitta yeah. energy's strongest and so they're like if you eat at noon or like around that same time every day then your body will get really used to that mm. and then every single day at that time it will already start just like secreting like digestive enzymes and things for you um, to like prepare for that meal same thing with like sleeping when you rise and when you go to sleep like if you can get yourself into these cycles and yeah. rhythms then it like helps your body maintain more balance in throughout daily life whereas if you're like you know have no sort of structure at all and then it's just like all flow and then you yeah. know i'm going to bed at two in the morning i'm waking up at 10 and then like i'm eating yeah. when i feel like it and then it kind of confuses your body and it like doesn't know mm-hmm. what what's going on and it's the so, body likes structure. Yeah. And I think sure. it's the same thing with that balance, right? Like if, if you want to apply the philosophy of like, um, masculine and feminine, like just purely on an energetic level, masculine being more of like, like structure based or like mm-hmm. logical, like, you know, setting up a, a structure, whereas the feminine is more like flow and surrender. If you create some kind of structure for yourself, then there can, you can allow for flow within that structure and it's like a, you want the balance of both. You don't want to be like Absolutely. so rigid and structured that it's like, nope, this is my time for meditation. This is like, this is yeah. my time to eat. Yeah. Nope, this is my time to hang out with friends. It's not time yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, That's so true. And, but you don't want to be so flowing that like you have no, 
no guiding compass mm-hmm. for yourself or like no, no structure to fall back on or anything. So I think that's another reflection of that balance. Yeah. Beautifully articulated there. Beautifully. Um, there's an, there was another, I think there was an Alan Watts quote or something, something I was listening to this morning. I know you you love Alan Watts mm-hmm. as well. Um, he's the man. he's the man for sure. But he was basically talking about like being the most engaged in this physical world, but like not being attached to it. Mm-hmm. I think like that's something that I'm really having an issue with or just a hard time with especially all of this you know all of the upheaval that's going on right now it's like I could I mean I live in Sedona you know (laughs) I could just not attach you know just not so like how do we main that maintain that balance of being like hey like like I am a spiritual being I have a spiritual practice how do I engage fully in this world, in this physical life that I'm playing out, but then maintain like the non-attachment of Mm -hmm. that? Like that's not everything that is going on, you know, Yeah. underneath the iceberg. Totally. Yeah. That's what I mentioned in the beginning of this, the Mahamudra practice, like that's Talopa. Talopa. That's what like the whole teaching is So when you said that, I read a book a while ago from Osho, uh, called Tantra, the Supreme Understanding. And he basically references a bunch of Talopa stuff yeah. um, about Mahamudra. So I'm going to have to go back and check that yeah, out. Yeah, and you live, I mean, things are closed down right now because of the whole situation going on, but there's a center, the Garchen Institute, like 30 minutes from here. And this teacher, Garchen Rinpoche, he's a Kagyu and Dzogchen Lama. So he's like in two okay. traditions because he had two teachers. Um, and he's probably the best like person to like learn from or at least like go to a center and it's only like 30 minutes from here so they offer retreats Damn. and stuff all the time but the teaching like that quote i mentioned earlier like talopa said have a mind that is open to everything yet attached to nothing and you know when you hear something like that you can feel something like truth in it but then you know like well that's easier said than done Absolutely. how do i stay open to everything yet attached to nothing and for me like this has been a huge um, interest of mine and it's like why I study a lot of these like Buddhist or Zen or yogic philosophies is because like there is this core truth um, and a certain way of being in the world that can lead to freedom and peace or there's like ways that can lead to suffering and from my understanding like it's mostly the mind like obviously our body and mind are really connected and we have this whole spiritual aspect of being but it's like the mind is what shapes our perception and it's all basically perception like the way we perceive something is how we experience it and so questioning and like inquiring into our perception and learning how we can shift our perception in a way that's more in alignment with truth um and and so in terms of like the not the attachment thing for me what i found that's been helpful is like to observe the mind and notice what does it get hung up on like the mind has this like Mm. quality of grasping it like gets stuck on something yeah Yeah. and like i notice it in myself really easily sometimes like the other day i was just driving down the road from like flagstaff like the spring up there like back Mm -hmm. into town and i saw like it was like Native American blankets was like the sign. And like immediately my mind was like, I want a Native American blanket, you know? <laughs> and then I like saw that quick little grasping and it's like what that does 
is our natural state is peaceful. Like we don't really need anything to be happy. Like when we're just being, we're totally blissed out. We're peaceful. But that dis- like that desire that gets triggered in the mind pulls us out of that state and makes us think that we need something else. We like get stuck on something. Mm. You're like, oh, I need this thing now to be happy. And if I don't get that Native it's American marketing. blanket, it's marketing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. If I don't get that blanket, then like I'm incomplete, and that's mm. how people feel. And and it's like you know if it's driven to the extreme, then they're like once they finally get that blanket, say for this example they're not really like being happy with it. Like what the feeling is there is like a relief from having their desire, um, like fulfilled for them. Right. Mm. The fulfillment of their desire relieved them of that pressure that they were feeling to like get the thing. And that's just an example, but the mind has this quality of grasping at things. Um, and it gets stuck, it gets hung up on things. And so for me, it's like, it's really a practice of awareness and observation of the mind and a practice of constantly letting go like continually surrendering and letting go moment to moment because life is this constant flow. Every constant ex- practice of letting go. Yeah. Everything, <laughs> everything that we experience, every experience itself is just coming and going, coming and going, mm. coming and going. So, you know, it's here, it's gone. It's here, it's and, gone. and that's the flow of life. It's what I think we'd be good at it by death. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's like, if we had a culture that like embraced these kind of things yeah. that we're talking about, we would be, but our culture is like, you know, you know how it is. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's yeah. different. So life is this flow of experience. It's like a continual stream of, of experience. And, and for that, um, like that's what allows us to, to do everything. And, and it's that same change that also like creates suffering in us when we're attached to, mm. to the change. And like the way I, I look at it is kind of like it's a river it, that's flowing all the time. And for me to like look at one part of that river and be like, I want that to stay the same. Like then I basically just like isolated a part of the river and like threw a boulder. Yeah. And I'm like trying to stop it from flowing. And it's like, you know, if you walk upstream, like a really heavy river, you're going to create all this suffering for yourself. Mm. It's going to be really hard. It's going to tire yourself out until you just like let go and float downstream again. And so for, for my understanding with that it's like we have to be able to like continually let go and like float down the stream again and not get hung up on stuff all of the Mm. time and and look into our minds and see when and what is like or how like are we getting hung up and stuck on things and can we let that go and can we open up to the experience so I think it is just a constant practice of surrender and what makes that possible to do Um, without there being like a lot of fear associated with it is also um, cultivating love within oneself because like a a real surrender is like freedom it's like the freedom to allow everything to be as it is not trying to control it in any way but like accepting how it is and that's a total act of love when you have that love in yourself Mm. and love for life like it's like I love for example like let's say a relationship Say, like, I love my partner so much that I'm willing to allow her to be free, to be who she is and to make her Mm -hmm. own choices. Like, I'm not going to try to grasp on and control and possess because that's what creates that suffering in relationships. Mm -hmm. So there are, like, these basic mechanisms of the mind and how it operates and things that it does that create suffering for ourselves. And if we can be aware of those things, then we can see, like, how we're creating our own suffering and we can also learn to stop doing that thing and stop disturbing ourselves. 
and like so it goes back to awareness totally and there's there's a lot of different systems that like help and they're all just like you know the map's not the territory like the, yeah. the map helps you navigate the territory but it's not the it's territory not, yeah it's not until you're in it yeah and, and then you're <laughs> you know you can practice all you want until you're in the actual you know you're on the field playing the game totally and then it's like okay you're gonna learn experientially mm-hmm. as well but yeah, I'm really grateful for, for those maps. You know, there's a lot of different ones. Um, but one that I find valuable is in the yoga sutras, um, Patanjali, the author of those wrote like all of these sort of explanations of the mind too. And he's like saying there are five basic obstructions that cause suffering and they call them the kleshas. Mm-hmm. And the first one is ignorance, which is like the root mm-hmm. of them all. It's And it goes yeah. back to that thing of perception. Like because we're ignorant of truth, we have a distorted perception of reality. And that distorted perception continually creates suffering for us because it's not harmonious with how things actually are. Yeah. And so that ignorance is like the basic, basic to, cause of to suffering. To ignore the truth. Yeah. That's ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> and then the second one is ego clinging, like clinging or attachment to, to your identity. And a lot of people have that, right? Like mm-hmm. what is it that makes makes you want to get like a super fancy car or makes you want to get like this really high position or of status. It's like you're clinging to your ego. You're trying to like solidify your existence and your, uh, as a separate self or as your like social image and like validate mm-hmm. that. Um, so ego clinging is like a cause of suffering. And then the other two are raga and doisha, which are attachment and aversion. So attach- attachment is that like clinging and grasping quality, whereas aversion is like pushing away. It's like, no, I don't want that. And that's like Mm. one of the basic things in the mind is like, I want this experience. It feels good. I don't want this experience. It feels bad. And those are the same thing. basically. Yeah. yeah. Basically. Um, it's all, they're all forms of resisting, Mm. (laughs) right? All the forms of resistance. And the last one, the, or the fifth one is, um, the fear of death being, being that other one. Yeah. That's the main fear. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like that, that fear of death is like, you know, that can, is also a cause of suffering because it's like self-preservation, uh, fearing what might happen to myself. Yeah. So like, that's like a really valuable teaching, right. To like have someone that's like, I'm super thankful for these people. Like, um, and Imagine a, if we grew up with that, right. You know, like, like, well, there's like, these. there's a give and take to it. Cause like mm-hmm. our culture is like, I've noticed a lot of people in, in spirituality and in like new age, you know, teaching or like culture reject a lot of traditional forms of spirituality because they see the dogma in it and that's good to like see dogma and be like no like i don't want to be accepting any dogma but they also have like thousands of years of practice and people that have like devoted their lives to it and so there's you can't just reject all of it and say there's no Mm -hmm. value in it like and so i think if you were born and raised in it like you can experience or you could be like subjected to a lot of the dogma yeah i traveled to a lot of these like um, different countries and to experience different cultures and each place I went I saw like oh, a different dogma there's dogma yeah. in all of these teachers that I'm talking with yeah and because I have I'm from like a western culture I was able to see that more clearly um mm-hmm. than to be like really immersed in it yet you know those teachings are super valuable and like the fact that they're written down and shared um, for people yeah. in the future as like a map for this like territory of um of consciousness is, is extremely helpful it's yeah, especially when we have no modern like culture that really promotes that or, or guides people in that space. We don't. Yeah. It's so interesting that that seems to happen within all cultures as we eventually get to this dogmatic place. Mm-hmm. And like we, 
we went over like the whole like thing of balance, whether like structure and then mobility or like fluidity. It's like you want both. The structure is going to help take you to a desired Mm -hmm. goal, you know, like having that, that spiritual structure or that, you know, or even the time that you go to sleep every night and wake up and eat your food, your body likes structure. But then not so much that you start creating so many rules for yourself that you're like trapped in some sort of box. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's like it's such an interesting thing of trying to find that balance. But something that I've noticed within the spiritual community, especially around here and you know, more <laughs> Western community, is like they're not so engaged in like fully engaged in one, our culture, our society. And they are a little bit more like not attached, you know, which is great to like not be attached to a lot of this like fake, fake news that's going on, you know? So I'm just like, I'm trying to figure out what practices to do to maintain like engagement in our world like for our community and like, but then maintain, you know, my spiritual practice where I'm not attached to the specific outcomes that are going on that are going to cause me to feel, you know, terrible or feel amazing or whatever it is, you know, like those are going to come and go, but how can I maintain engagement? I think that's kind of where goal setting can come into like what do you how do you want to be engaged as well but i'm just curious if you have any yeah sort of I like think, practice yeah I, well i want to say i think a lot of people have a misconception about what non-attachment is because that it seems like a lot of people associate it with like disassociation from life yeah. you know like numbing yeah like, <laughs> i'm not attached like to numbing or like i'm not gonna feel or anything. like willfully being ignorant of life like no i'm not gonna look into what's going on because i'm not attached to it like yeah and it's it's not even non-attachment at all. Like, you know, they're still totally attached <laughs> in some ways. But um, yeah. I, I think more, non-attachment is more so like it's like a, a act of humility within oneself to, mm. to be aware of what's truthful, like in a situation and to accept what is. Like if I can accept what is and allow things to be as they it's are, accepting what then is. that's like, that's me being not attached to like yeah. a certain outcome or my certain expectations yeah. or ideals. It's like, I'm willing to accept the truth and, and to let that inform me and guide yeah. me. And in terms of like the, the world engagement. So I feel like, mm. um, well, I, there's it's taking this, responsibility. Yeah. Well, there's this, this quote I wanted to share that makes me think of it. It's like this teacher, Srinas Rigadatta Maharaj, um, wrote, or he didn't write it. It was a book of like dialogue with him called I am that. And yeah. in that book, he, um, has this quote. He says, wisdom tells me that I am nothing. Love tells me that I am everything. And between the two is where my life flows. I and love that one. Me too. And I think it's love. Love is is the engagement in the world. For mm. me, like what makes... This was like a huge part of my journey for a while. was like I was debating on whether to like be involved in the world and to be serving and, and helping the world or to just like completely reject and renounce the world and like go in meditation for like long periods of time. And I was sitting with this for a while, like which one is like, is, is the one for, for myself and is like the Mm -hmm. more truthful thing to do. And, um, I, yeah, I, I feel like the love that I feel 
when I'm feeling into my heart, I feel so much love for the world. And that's like, I want to be here to serve. I want to be here to help. And I think the more that we can be in our hearts rather than in our head space, mm. like if you notice a lot of those people that are really like disassociated from uh, reality and not they're really engaged, from their they're not, well. yeah, they're not very embodied in their heart either. They're like kind of got really mental forms of spirituality where they're like far off, like trying to find some Pleiadians and, or, or something, <laughs> yeah. you know, and like nothing wrong with Pleiadians, but like yeah. it's these basic things of like f- coming into your heart and having love. Um, and yeah, so when I was traveling and going to these like different cultures and countries and seeing like, um, I was trying to find, this was part of the journey for me of like that decision. What am I doing with my like spirituality? I was trying to find a form of spirituality. Like I'd been studying all these teachings and I was like, which, which one like, do I like the most? I wanted to go to that culture and experience it. So I went to Peru, I went to, um, Guatemala, went to India, Nepal, and China and like spent time with like the different traditions and, um, different teachers and was really trying to feel into which one I liked the most. And I noticed, I would always ask those teachers questions that like stood out to me of like, um, the, I guess the thing that really stood out to me was like, they all had really beautiful philosophies, but they weren't really grounded in their practical application. A lot of them, or like they weren't embodying what they were saying. Like, for example, when I was in Nepal, I was staying at this Tibetan monastery doing a retreat there. And constantly these monks are praying for the liberation of all sentient beings. May all sentient beings be happy and free from suffering. And yet they're like, waste system is totally um like they don't have a good waste system their food system is totally out of whack like they these basic like tangible material systems that they have are creating suffering for the community and the environment around them yeah they're hanging out in the temple praying about freeing beings from suffering and like when i went to china and Taoism, they have these all these philosophies of like harmony with nature and unification of heaven and earth and yet the way that they're behaving and like acting is like it's totally ignorant of their actions and how they're like there's garbage all over the street india too and like Mm. all these places and i went it really struck me i was like I couldn't allow myself to neglect the earth. Like this is one thing I really respect about the native teachings is Mm. there's a lot of forms of spirituality that neglect the earth and, and our connection to it. And it's, they do so while being totally dependent upon it. Like all their water, all their food, all the air they're breathing. It's like, this is all the earth. And yet they're denying the earth or like saying this is bondage and this is suffering and you need to get away from the earth plane, (laughs) you know? And it's like, for, for me, it's like, no, we need to learn how to really live with the earth and how do we integrate spirituality and our, our humanity. Um, and for me, what I've found just for my personal life. And like, I also think as a culture would be huge is it's just sort of the umbrella term. It falls under for me is permaculture. Um, because permaculture is like, you know, it doesn't have to be permaculture exactly, but what that permaculture movement is doing. Um, like I, I spent eight months on a permaculture farm last year yeah, and that was, I was trying to learn like, how do I live with the earth? And what I loved about permaculture is it's this way of looking at land, looking at 
in whatever land, like even your you know backyard right here, you can be yeah. looking at like, what are the resources that are coming in? Where are they coming from? Where are they going? And how can I use them and work with them to produce my like needs to provide to for create myself? Create like a closed loop system yeah. where it's like all working symbiotically with itself. Totally. And I think that's a big thing that we need to do as a culture is look at the systems that are in place right now. And look at our food systems, look at our waste systems, our water systems, our political systems, our social systems on all these scales and just ask ourselves like, okay, how does this system function? What are the, the key like parts of the system? And is there better ways that we could design these systems so that they can actually be of benefit or be har- more harmonious with nature as opposed to destroying it? And so, absolutely, there are a lot of ways we can. Yeah, totally. And (laughs) I found for me, like when I was at this permaculture farm, there was a total absence of a focus on healing. Like there wasn't, people weren't really open or or interested in like, they were to some extent, but not like the extent that I I am or feels necessary. Like there wasn't a whole lot of focus on like self-inquiry and self-understanding and self-exploration and um, spirituality in those forms. It was just a lot of like, hippies hanging out like wanting to garden and like you know learn about the earth yeah and even like you know i think we all have like some hypocrite hypocritical things we may do but like i I was at this place and it's like a meant to be like you know a sustainable community and like still there's like you know the food choices and like some of the behavior Mm -hmm. was like not so sustainable um and obviously it's hard to be totally sustainable, but anyway, I just noticed that that community, there was like a lack of like spiritual understanding and at the spiritual communities I've been to, there's been like a huge lack of, um, earthly <laughs> understanding yeah. and not just like, I'm sure there's beautiful places that exist that have both. And just from my experience, like I was noticing a huge disconnect there. And I think how can we integrate those two so that we can be more, engaged in in the world and be more like i just think of it as like we are beings of the earth like look at we are we are absolutely connected to the earth we are part of the biological systems of the earth yeah and that's yeah i think i i've sat with that a lot as far as like how do we integrate because even like for example like technology like we've created this technology the technology is, is us you know like my phone is an extension of me mm-hmm. it is but it, but it's not biological you know and the technology like our biology does not like technology mm-hmm. like having my phone on my body is radiating me you know or like causing these you know electro it's it's fucking up my electromagnetic field totally so how do we figure out how to integrate like because we're not going to be able to get rid of technology at this point how do we live integrated with technology in a way that is symbiotic with biology and spirituality earth-based spirituality yeah like that's my question (laughs) yeah that's a good question (laughs) i'm not looking for no totally i I answer um Well, when I was thinking of it, it's like why I started going into permaculture is because I think there's like a huge need for us to change the way we're living on the earth. And for me, that provides like a great system 
of how to do it differently. It's like a set of design tools and methods that's not like, this is how you do permaculture. It's just kind of like, here are like questions to ask. Here's like uh, principles to, to mm-hmm. inquire into. And like, they're apply- applicable to not just like land and agriculture, but like social systems and communities, stuff of all kind. Um, and I, I love that movement that's happening and want to be a part of it. And, and what I think so beautiful about it is, like you said, uh, um, you know, a few minutes ago, it was like about taking responsibility for ourselves. Mm. To me, that's a huge part of what that is. And that should happen on all levels, like spiritually, mentally, emotionally, like energetically, physically, but just on like that material level of the earth and how we're living on it is like, I need to take responsibility for myself and how I'm living on the earth. And, you know, a lot of people are, are questioning like, wow, why can't society live sustainably? Like, why are we all destroying things? And then like we continue yeah. personally in our individual lives to do the, that very to thing. To not take action on it. Yeah. And so like, and I was doing this too, like, and, and I realized, you know, I still do it to some extent. It's, it's really challenging to decondition from our programming and our culture mm-hmm. and to relearn a way of living on the earth when it, you have no guidance or very And little. to take action upon that, totally. especially when we live in a culture that's not going to, or that's going to outcast or look at you like you're some sort of freak mm-hmm. or something, you know, like to make different choices, but we need those people, Yeah, you know, we need those people to go against the grain of these toxic societal cultural decisions systems that are in place and eventually it's like societies will eventually catch up but we need those people that are going to take responsibility or like responsibility the ability to respond and connect to the truth of what the fuck is going on. Totally. Yeah. I really do think self-responsibility is, is a huge thing. And like, like that's real spirituality. Yeah. Is responsibility. Actually, (laughs) I have a teacher, (laughs) a teacher in Washington is like a really close friend of mine. And, Mm. um, he's like 70. He's just been on the path super long. And he always Mm. is like telling me, he's like, that's the one thing we, nobody wants to do. Nobody wants to be responsible for themselves. And that's like a, he he always talks about like, that's a huge part of what it's about is like really owning up to your experience and being responsible for it. Like, how am I like, I need to be responsible for my thoughts and how they affect my happiness. I need to be responsible for my actions and my words and how those affect the people around me and the land around me and just taking responsibility for one's existence and how that's radiating out (laughs) into the web of life. And like what I was saying with the permaculture thing, like a a total shift that I had, which actually was sparked by this coronavirus uh, thing happening. I was like, I was at my house and you know, I've, I still want land. Land has been like something I've always been passionate about and like want to live on land. And I love that lifestyle, but I don't have the funds for that. So like, I'm not in a position where I can can do do that. Yeah. Yeah, And so I was like thinking, sitting there in my, my house where I'm like, man, I need to get land. Like, how am I going to have money to get land? And what am I going to do for land? And then I'm like, look outside and I'm like, well, I got a backyard. (laughs) (laughs) I got a front yard. I got a side yard and I got like all this stuff here. Like I do have land, like some land I can work with and it's the land is alive here now. Like there are trees, there are birds, the sun's here, it rains. Like there's elements here flowing together. And like, I, 
I can either live harmoniously with them or not. And, you know, so I, mm-hmm. I went out and I bought a water tank and like a gutter system and I'm like setting up how to harvest rainwater from my roof into the gutter, into the water tank. Mm-hmm. And that can be most of my, um, like filter that for drinking water it can be used for my garden. So like I built a garden, I planted a bunch of fruit trees and I got just mm-hmm. like really inspired and excited about what I can do just on my yard. And, you know, for people that don't have a yard or that live in apartment buildings or, or something like that, like they can volunteer on a farm and like still get that connection or be involved in some community yeah. or, or a community garden or start a community garden, like speak with their city or, or there are ways that we can make change and take action and, and start to live more sustainably. And I think a lot of it's about responsibility for ourselves and our impact on the world and that we actually like because we see something that's going on in the world, like we see what's wrong with the world, then we are the ones that also have that responsibility to, to fix take it. action. That's, we that's how I feel about it. it. Yeah. Like if I'm able to see that something's wrong, like I can either sit and complain that it's wrong or I can mm. like be like, okay, what would be better? What, what could be different about it? And I could start working towards that thing. And, yeah. and I think what is so essential about that too, like I said at the beginning of this is like love. If love is what's feeling that rather than fear or yeah. control, like, because it can come from that place totally. Like I can be afraid of my survival. And mm-hmm. so like out of fear, I can panic and be like, I need to live in a safe, clean space. Yeah. Um, so like, how do I do that? Or it can be like, wow, like the land here is beautiful and alive and it's suffering because of our actions. Like I love this land and I don't want to hurt it anymore. I want to live with it. Mm-hmm. And that love can like the people in the earth too, like we're all suffering from the way that our society functions from our lack of understanding of ourselves. And that brings compassion for me. It's like, I see my brothers and sisters suffering. Like how can I make them happy? Like how can I help them to make themselves happy or realize happiness Um, so that love, like that, just that, that heart's motivation and and desire, like that is what influences my actions for that. And I think when I can come from that place, it's got like a, such a power behind it and such a, a motivational, like gravity, like this force behind it. And I think the more that we can, Mm. as a people embody that, that love inside of our hearts and also take responsibility for ourselves, um, and how we impact the world. I think that's, that's what's needed. But one other thing I wanted to, to mention is like when you were saying, how do we have peace um, when with like, I guess when you're saying with the, the phone affecting your biology or, or like things going on in the media or things that seem beyond our control, like with where we're at right now, how can I still maintain peace and that love within my heart, even when there's such a chaotic state, like that's going on in the world right now. And that for me is where like spirituality really comes into play um, is the more I go inward, the more I can find a place of peace and understanding that's beyond any physical material experience. Like, you you know, it's this peace, which path is passeth understanding as it's been called before. And it's like, I've, you can find peace within yourself and it's like a place of peace that's not dependent upon any circumstance and that allows for you to be at peace in any circumstance, regardless of what's happening. And then we can really, really address the world problems coming from that place rather than coming from fear. Um, 
so that's where like the spiritual work for me is really valuable and important is if I can go deep within myself and find where I'm living in fear, where I'm living in anger or where I have these unresolved issues. And if I can heal those and release those and let those go and open myself up to that state of peace and, and love within myself, um, not only is that like a source of happiness and freedom for me, but it, it allows me to really be in the world without being overwhelmed by what's going on in the world. And so I do think there needs to be that inner work and that inner understanding too. Yeah. Totally. Dude, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for, uh, for that download. That's, um, yeah, that was very well put. I think we, I think we wrapped a nice bow around that. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a pleasure dropping in with you, brother. Yeah, you too.